and especially for what we have this morning. We pray that you'd really speak to us now, teach us new things, and remind us of things that are really important in each one of our lives. Lord, speak to us through your word and Holy Spirit. Make everything clear to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Two readings at St. John's. The reason is that uh, Ephesians is brilliant. We could have just read it through and we'd have all gone home sort of zapped in, you know, feeling fantastic before God. But we're going to try and just home in on elements of Ephesians, but especially on that theme of unity and not just unity in the church, but harmony in the whole of creation, all things being brought together through Jesus. So a bit of an introduction, and then we're going to look at three key questions. Where are we going? Where have we come from? This is the order as I see it in Ephesians. It's not what I'd have done. I'd have done past, present, future. But future first, where are we going? Secondly, where have we come from? And then the here and now. What does all this mean for the way we live today? So here goes. We've only got two more uh, sessions from our series on Whole Life, Whole Bible after today. And this really is the culmination side, the, the consummation, as it says in our source book, of all that we've come through from creation, from the fall, to covenants, to Christ and the church. We're now in the culmination of all human history as set out in the Bible. Last Sunday, Tom stressed that St. Paul's letters don't overdo the what, the how, where or when of the end times. They focus instead upon the who, Jesus Christ. That is what we're going to try and focus on today. And I'm sure we'll be doing exactly the same over the next two weeks through Ian and then through Tom. So we're going to look today at Jesus, who is the Son of God, was and is central to our universe. On the cross, he dealt once and for all with all our sins, past, present, and future. His resurrection confirmed God's victory over all the powers of evil. He then sent the Holy Spirit to establish and empower the church so that the church might bring the gospel to the world to bring God's truth. Jesus will come again in glory, as we have all heard many times, I'm sure. He will come as judge, as well as king of kings and lord of lords. And he will bring human history on earth to an end. He will be the head, seen as the head. Every knee will have to bow. In his good time, God, through Jesus, will fulfill all his plans for creation not just for the church. As it says in Ephesians 1 verse 10, as we heard earlier, he will bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Jesus will bring complete harmony to all of creation. Given Ukraine, given wildfires, given the climate crisis, there's the essence of our true future hope, that all things will be brought together in accordance with God's plans through Jesus, 
the head of all that is to come. Ephesians is my favorite epistle. I can't escape that. But a lot of people have had trouble with it because Paul is a little bit undisciplined with his punctuation. It just flows and flows. One fantastic thought after another. It's why we've had two lessons today to kind of rejig the key bits we're going to look at today so that it makes sense or we'd be starting in mid-sentence. So translators have struggled. I think Paul just couldn't contain what the Holy Spirit was showing him as he wrote this amazing letter. So it's a rat-a-tat-tat job, one thing after another. He puts together some of the longest and most important verses in the whole Bible. In this letter, unusually, Paul is not really dealing with specific problems in the church. He's not trying to put certain things right. He's just flowing over with uh, giving us an extended horizon, a greater understanding of God's will and his plans for his universe and for us. So he's all about expanding horizons here. It's a letter well worth rereading in August. I've also said that about Psalms, so take your pick. But, you know, it's a lovely letter to work through. And I hope that some of you will want to do that after today. Ephesians has been described as breathtaking in its cosmic scope and the ways in which it sets out for us God's plans and purposes for believers, for us, for the church, us, and the whole of creation, which is not just us. Paul lists in chapter 1, as we heard in the first reading, the incredible blessings that God has given us through his Son. In chapters 4 to 6, later on in Ephesians, which we only just had a quick look at today, he sets out the expectations that Jesus has for his church in unity, in spiritual growth as individuals, but also together, in the way we um, preach the gospel, bring the truth to our community, family life, it says good things about children and parents and very good things about wives and husbands. And finally, it talks about overcoming evil by standing firm against the principalities and powers. It is a letter, in spite of all these heavy subjects and its amazing scope, it's a letter of joy, of praise, and two of the most wonderful prayers ever written. You can find them for yourselves. You'll probably know them very well. But today, we're just going to look at these three key questions to see what Ephesians reveals about our futures individually, and then, as we sometimes forget as Christians, together. The letters are about the church growing together it's individuals it's us with God but it's also about the way we move forward together and that's obviously part and parcel of the unity theme in our first reading we had what was an amazing burst of praise from Paul which sets the tone for the whole of this letter he reminds his readers of all the blessings and privileges that we enjoy when we belong to him but it also looks to the future. I'm going to break all the rules under the sun because the vicar's away. I'm now going to quote to you something from a theologian. I know it's not the done thing, but Karl Barth has been described as you know, the greatest, most influential theologian of the 20th century. And I think in his short commentary on Ephesians, he really got things right. 
He couldn't get away from chapter one. He had to summarize all the rest. Uh, it all came from lectures he gave to students. But I'm going to just share with you a few quotes from him today. I like to acknowledge my source as being a historian. This is not me being clever. These are some really deep things from a theologian who actually understands or understood uh, what the Greek says. So this is what, what he says about this chapter one stuff, about all the blessings we have in God. We are created by God, from whom we come, and for God, towards whom we are moving. We are standing on the ground of God's good pleasure. We are moving towards the goal of the glory of God. And then Barth says a little bit more about Paul's intentions in writing this letter. What's he trying to do? And he says this. Paul here means to jolt them, that's the Ephesians, but also us, out of their constant forgetfulness to save them from the quicksand of trivialities by confronting them with the fundamental questions of human existence and the answer that is already given by God. Paul will not allow them to remain mere spectators and contemplatives. He summons them to a vocation, a movement, an upheaval, an overcoming of time and everything temporal or temporary, an overcoming of all of them by eternity, in which we come to our senses and walk before God. And all of this takes place in Christ. We are to get away from trivialities and petty things and small things and have the sort of vision that we get through Ephesians of what God's about, what his whole universe is about and what his plans are. There is a strong sense of movement here. This is me now, by the way, just in case you thought it wasn't quite so good as the last bit. God's plans are not static there's movement, as there has been with this whole series through the Bible. They call us to move forward in Christ and with Christ and to begin being in his presence forever. Through Jesus, God will bring all things together and restore harmony to the whole of creation, the whole cosmos which is maybe not something we quite get our heads round. He is going, as it says in verse 10 of Ephesians 1, to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and all things on earth. Well, let's just home in on those three points now, uh, using some of the verses we've looked at today. And leaving others out, sadly, but there we are. In Ephesians 2, Paul reminds his readers of where they have come from. You and I have come on this same journey. As for you, says Paul, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. That's chapter 2, verses 1, and then verse 2. And then we get one of Paul's big buts. When he's going to say something really big, you often get a but as he gives the context. I'm just going to read uh, 
in chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. I'm going to do it quickly, but it's really important that we are aware of where we've come from. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it a bit, just go through a bit quickly. We were all dead in transgressions and sin. All of us also lived among them at the time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and thoughts. Like the rest, we were nature, sorry, by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And it talks about us being raised with Christ in the heavenly places. We are co-heirs with Jesus as the Son of God of all that he has from the Father. That is just amazing. Because we don't deserve it at all, or any of it at all. And then it says, by grace you have been saved. And then it ends like this, this first part of um, Ephesians 2. This is not from yourselves, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This thought of a plan which affects individuals and local churches, God's got things in mind for us, and we have to find a way of fitting in with them. And his motivation is all from love and his care for us. And he doesn't make, just make us new creatures. Um, there's a thought in the way he expresses this, of us being made anew, of us actually becoming his masterpieces. Not just any old bits of art or good pictures, but masterpieces, you and me, as new people, uh, in the image of Jesus, as we grow in him. That's what's coming through here. We've been equipped by God. We've been given the means to do good works for his kingdom. And we were people who were just so far from him and not deserving of any forgiveness. And then the big but, I've saved it. It's verse 13 in Ephesians 2. I hope Karen's coping with me dotting around, but don't worry if if, uh, that's not the case, because I'm going to read this out for you. Um, In verses 15 and 16, we actually get the notion of um, God's purposes. Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two one. That's Jews and Gentiles who are separate, divided, a dividing wall of hostility. His purpose, God's purpose, was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. The cross brings peace for individuals like us as we're freed up from our sin, we're forgiven, we're cleansed, we're set on our feet as new people. But also, it brings a peace to the world that it can't otherwise have. That, That hope is still there, that plan, that intention is still there, in spite of the Ukraine, in spite of climate change, and so on. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. So here's this wonderful thought that God's unity is not about church unity alone. It's about a harmonization of everything and the culmination of all history. 
It's huge stuff. And yet we've come from such a bad place. Jesus truly transforms everything for those who believe. The past is actually gone. That's the important thing with it. The present is totally different because of Jesus. And Paul is now going further, as Barth said, because in Christ, our existence here and now is radically related to God's beyond. We do need to look at the future, our future, and the way that Jesus will will lead us forward to the end of times. Do our lives reflect this? We're going to look at that in a minute. But the Prince of Peace, Jesus, who is peace himself, wants a complete removal of hostility and a coming together of disparate people, just like us. We're all very different, different backgrounds. Those who've been separated and divided through the cross can now be reconciled to God, but also to each other. And it's a travesty if there isn't unity in the church, because that's what Jesus came to give, and more besides, when he died for us on the cross. So whatever our origins... Whatever our pasts, our path of discipleship is the same. That's part of our unity together. And our eternal destination is identical, and it's heaven. So what does all this mean for the here and now, for St. John's, for our daily lives? Well, we're going to look a little bit in uh, chapter 4, those few verses we had read earlier. Um, As you know... Harmony and unity day by day in any local church can be elusive. In any family it can be elusive. But they, harmony and unity, are part of our inheritance as Christians. Like our salvation itself, they need to be worked at and worked out. They depend upon us becoming more like Jesus in the way we treat, support and care for each other. We are to be as Jesus would be with each other. The way I care for each of you or do things, don't do things, it should be exactly what Jesus would do in that same situation, in that need. It's an incredibly high bar, an incredibly high standard. But through the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit can develop in us and we can actually treat each other as Jesus would treat us each one of us a final quote from bath and then we're nearly done in christ we encounter the incomparable new reality of god which humbles and exalts us which abases us so profoundly and restores us so powerfully he jesus is the peace and is the one undeniable reality That's why he's our focus, especially in these final uh, three Sundays of our series on Whole Life, Whole Bible. And I'm just going to read from Ephesians 4, verses 12 and 13, which Sarah read for us earlier. This gives you what God's plan is for us in terms of the here and now. To prepare God's people, that's the point of all these apostles and teachers and what have you in the church, all the ministries... 
They are there to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, if that isn't ambitious, I don't know what is. I mean, it's almost beyond belief that that is God's goal for us, that we might become as mature spiritually as Jesus was and be a blessing to each other because of that. But that is God's plan. That is what God wants amongst us. Yes, for us to be individually more mature Christians, but to be so so that it affects the whole body of Christ, each one here at St. John's. I nearly put wow at the end of each of these sections because Paul just <coughs> takes you to places you don't normally go to, go to. I'm now going to be a little bit mundane because there's been some highfalutin theological stuff in there, not from me, but from Karl Barth. What I'd like to do now is just read out from Whole Life, Whole Bible, its summary of what uh, this talk has all been about. Uh, I'm doing it because I don't like pretending good thoughts and good things are from me when they're not at all. So just a few words to round off our talk today. This is about the here and now and what we can do and how we pick up from what we've learnt from Ephesians or relearnt today. As the letter goes on, it becomes clear that the ultimate unity of all things to be fully displayed in Christ has already had its beginning in the church. Far from being a passive spectator in this cosmic drama, the church is to live a life worthy of her calling, to display the unity of the Spirit, to grow together in Christ as a unified body and to reflect to the, to the world God's ultimate plan for the universe, testifying to a comprehensive, all-embracing salvation in lives turned around. There's a wow coming there, but I'll hold it back. And finally, while the vision is cosmic and grand, the outworking is local and specific as we witness to this reconciliation in our everyday existence in particular locations. It says here from Basildon to Bangalore, but I'm going to put from Southbourne to Selsey. In doing so, we demonstrate a whole new way of living before God and with others that is consistent with our new humanity and the new way of living starts where we find ourselves every day, with the choices we make every day, with the people we live with every day, with our families and in our jobs, as very ordinary people through whom God is present to the world. That is God's plan for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you don't want to just bless us in small ways, but you want to bless us in huge ways and make us a big blessing to each other and to those around us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the willingness to obey you, to listen to the Holy Spirit and to follow as he calls us. 
that we might become more like Jesus and fulfill your plans for us each day. Amen. As the singers and musicians come to the front for our next song, I'm just going to quote the words from one of the verses we're about to sing. It's very much in line with what we've been reading in Ephesians. And it says this, No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first day to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Please stand. We're going to sing in Christ alone. Mm -hmm.